0: Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. My guest today is Peter Feit. Peter is the director of the Land and Resource Rights Initiative and the acting director of our Governance Center. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you much. We're going to be discussing today a commentary that I'm proud that I worked with you on, Land Matters, how securing community land rights can slow climate change and accelerate the sustainable development goals. Before we get into the commentary, you know, I've known you four or five years now. You really have a, I feel, a sort of a deep passion about land rights issues. You're happy to be able to say that it will accelerate the development goals and you know, be good for climate change, but I sense there's something else about an innate sense of justice that's motivating you.
1: Would you, I have that wrong? You know, uh, 40 years ago, uh, I first stepped foot into Africa. Uh, and I was working for conservation. I was uh, working in a protected area, and I saw how critical land is to the well-being and the livelihoods of the communities that surround protected areas, and as the conservation community got more engaged in expanding uh, the protected estate, it it, uh, became uh, an issue for me and so I got much more involved in um, looking more at land rights, looking more at securing tenure, uh, looking for ways to help communities protect their lands Um, and I started on this long journey. uh, uh, Understanding uh, community land, understanding land rights, understanding how to secure property rights. Uh, and uh, it's been great working at WRI for most of that time um, on these land issues. So uh, it, is, uh, it is a part of me. It's uh, something I've worked on for quite a long time. You've
0: had a series of research reports that came out recently. And one of the things we try and do with the commentary is sort of knit together underlying research. We're not publishing new research results. But tell me about one of those findings that surprised you in the research
1: that you have done. So the uh, we did a, a report uh, recently that looked at the uh, uh, looked at the deforestation rates, the forest cover change that occurred uh, in uh, indigenous lands that were tenure secure, and compared it with uh, similar land that was not tenure secure. And to my great surprise, um, it uh, we saw much much lower deforestation rates on tenure secure indigenous land. I expected to see lower rates of deforestation, but what we found were rates that were two or three times lower uh, than uh, 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 on land uh, outside uh, that was not tenure secure. So it just underscored to me the role of tenure security in creating an incentive for communities or landowners broadly, uh, that it creates such a powerful incentive for them to manage their land in a sustainable and productive way. And so uh, that's certainly something that startled me about how powerful this incentive is
0: what do you mean by tenure secure? and give me an example of something that a government would do if they see this finding they said well you know we want our indigenous peoples to have tenure security what what concretely what does that mean
1: so um there are many ways uh that uh, land can be secured uh and what we mean by that is that uh that uh, landowners uh communities in my case um uh have a, a perception that that the land is theirs; uh, it will not be taken from them. Any investments that they make in that land, uh, uh, they'll be able to be, to reap the benefits from those investments. Um, so it's partly a perception issue, uh, but it's also uh, 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 a more concrete issue in in terms of. Um, uh, most of the land in United States, for example, is registered in a government cadaster and is uh, documented, and we have a title uh, or a land certificate to our property. Uh, in much of Africa, much of Latin America, in much of uh, Asia, uh, land is not documented. Land is not registered with the state. And so uh, the only uh, verification that you have is through custom. Uh, and so uh, uh, when you if, if the land is contested, uh, if a private company says, no, that's my land, uh, and they go to court over that, um, uh, a certificate, a land title, uh, is much more likely to hold weight in a court of law.
0: So in a practical sense, it would also mean that a community presumably could call in outside authorities if somebody was chopping down trees on their land, or creating a plantation, or doing something they hadn't given permission for, that the state would back them up in the insertion of those claims. Is that true?
1: Uh, in theory, <laughs> in law, uh, it should be that way, but uh, in most of, uh, there, about half the world's land is held in a collective manner, either by communities or indigenous people. Most of that land Uh, is not legally recognized under national law. Most and even less of that land uh, is uh, formally documented with a land title or certificate. So as a result, most of this land is held simply under customary tenure arrangements. And that means that it's vulnerable to be taken. It means it doesn't create the incentives that communities need to invest in their land. And so there's a real push now to try to uh, uh, take on measures uh, or make investments so that uh, tenure security uh, can be achieved. And documentation titling is certainly one of the most common approaches. There are other approaches as well. So, for example, uh, in, in, in a number of countries, uh, the law doesn't even recognize uh, collective land rights. So there's a, there's a need to actually reform the law to recognize customary tenure arrangements as a legitimate form of land holding.
0: I recall that one of your studies that is cited in the commentary is the scramble for land rights and that you point out there that um, companies can often secure land, secure title to land, control and access to land much more quickly than communities and uh, you know, they've got the lawyers and the communities don't, and so land that community might have had for many, many generations is suddenly somebody else's.
1: Yes, it's one of the most startling uh, uh, findings from our last research where uh, we looked at the procedure by which communities acquire formal land rights and document their land rights that, uh, and then compared it with the procedure that companies, foreign companies, must go through in order to get formal land rights. Uh, and what we're finding is that, uh, that, as you were saying, that companies can do this much quicker, not only because uh, the, uh, they have the resources uh, in terms of uh, finance and, and uh, they can hire the technical expertise that's necessary, Uh, But what we're also finding is that uh, the government agencies that are responsible for helping foreign companies make investments um, are very well equipped, uh, uh, are the gold standard of government support. And then you compare that with the government agency that's responsible for helping communities uh, title their land and they're generally ill-equipped uh, uh, understaffed, underresourced. Uh, so that's just another reason why there's a really uh, an unlevel playing field. And this is so ironic uh, because communities are trying to formalize land that they've held under custom oftentimes for hundreds of years, whereas a foreign company coming in has no history with the land that they're trying to acquire.
0: So interesting. Governments are in fact not monolithic. Different agencies have different kinds of power and capability. I want to turn now to the commentary. And the main purpose of the commentary, as I understand it, is to link the obvious benefits that you've been articulating of strengthening land tenure for indigenous and community groups. It's good for them. Uh, It's good for economic growth. But you specifically wanted to tie it to the Sustainable Development Goals and to actions to reduce climate change. Why did you think that that was an important thing to do?
1: Well, um, these sustainable development goals were, um, uh, the, the member states committed to this about Four years ago, three and a half years ago in 2015.
0: Member states being the UN, uh, all the nations of the world.
1: Yes, uh, the 193 member states of the United Nations made these commitments toward these 17 sustainable development goals three and a half years ago and there has been now sufficient time to assess progress and what we're finding is that the progress is very uneven by sustainable development goal but overall we're not making the progress that we need in order to achieve these goals by the 2030 uh, target date, and so I think there's a new there, there's a need to think about new approaches to achieving these sustainable development goals, and it's very clear to me that uh, that one strategy uh, would be to help communities secure their land rights, uh, and from that a whole series of the sustainable development goals. Uh, can be advanced. Now, tenure security is not a silver bullet, but it is fundamental to achieving uh, uh, a range of positive sustainable and development outcomes. And
0: and talk to me about the climate angle. What's the connection between strengthening tenure for community indigenous people and climate action?
1: So we talked a little bit earlier about uh, one of the findings from our research that shows that Uh, that the rate of deforestation uh, on tenure-secure indigenous land is far lower than the rate uh, uh, on similar land outside. Well, the climate benefits, the climate mitigation benefits from lower deforestation rates means that more carbon can be sequestered on indigenous lands that are tenure-secure than on indigenous lands that are not tenure-secure. Uh, and given the, the extent of community and indigenous land, uh, it is a, a low cost, high reward uh, investment uh, in securing, uh, toward achieving the sustainable goals by securing, uh, securing tenure rights.
0: Those who follow uh, Climate Action closely, certainly those who follow WRI's work on it, will know that under the Paris Agreement, countries put forward their nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, and we have a body of work that is um, helping countries to meet those contributions. Have you looked at the extent to which the NDC, these commitments that countries made, specifically incorporate? uh, Well, I guess there's really two questions. One is sort of uh, carbon sequestration within the land, and then, as a subset of that, the importance of securing tenure for community groups.
1: So we have looked at this a little bit, and and um, uh, we focused a lot of our attention on the heavily forested countries. But what we're finding, what we found, was that uh, while many of those countries recognize the importance of forest conservation and forest restoration. Uh, Very few of the NDCs actually note the importance of securing community land rights to achieve uh, forest conservation and uh, forest restoration. Uh, We haven't looked at the strategies or the action plans uh, that have been developed to look uh, at how to implement the NDCs. But the NDCs themselves, very, very few of them uh, recognize uh, the importance of tenure security uh, in, uh, in achieving those, uh, those NDC outcomes. Now, that's actually quite different than uh, the SDGs. Uh, uh, the sustainable, development, the sustainable goals. development goals. Five of the sustainable development goals recognize land as critical to achieving those goals, and three of them uh, specifically call out for securing collective land rights. So you have a a set of sustainable development goals and targets and indicators that are quite supportive of this. They just haven't been met. And so there is this opportunity, at least politically, to move forward on tenure security.
0: So, So the commentary, I think, makes a quite persuasive case that strengthening uh, land security is good for the people who live there, good for the economy, good for advancing sustainable development goals and climate action. If I gave you now, Peter, a magic wand, here it is, I'm handing you the magic wand, you could wave the magic wand and summon any reader in the world that you want. Who would that person be? Maybe not by name, but what, what kind of person would that be? And what would she or he do after having
1: read the commentary? So this, uh, so this particular commentary uh, is targeting those that are responsible uh, uh, for implementing the SDGs, for ensuring at, at the national level, for those government officials who are responsible for ensuring that the, that the country meets its commitments under the NDCs uh, uh, that you mentioned earlier. As well as uh, you know the broader uh, uh, SGGS as well. So it's primarily targeted to the government agencies, but also obviously it's targeted to the partners of governments uh, that are going to be working with them to achieve those. So that would when you say partners, are you going to tell me funders we're talking about, right? Well, we're tar- we we certainly are talking about bilateral or uh, and multilateral donor agencies that support governments in developing countries. So the World Banks, the IMF's, the uh, the UN, but also the DFIDs and the USAIDs and the CEDAS and so on. But uh, 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 I we also want to target this to the international and the uh, domestic non-governmental organizations who are actually doing most of the field field level work they're the ones that are actually working with communities and indigenous people directly uh, and so they I think also have an important role to play um, and uh, uh, and so funding them either directly or facilitating them through the supportive uh, uh, national policy is, is really who we're trying to target. We're just about out of time. I'm going to give you
0: your closing shot. If there's one thing that you want our listeners to know about land tenure and the message of this commentary, what's the thing you want them to carry away from this conversation?
1: So uh, there are three things um, that I would uh, suggest. One is that uh, we need to uh, focus uh, much more attention on creating supportive and, and enabling legislation at the national level uh, that, uh, that provides uh, tenure security for communities and indigenous people.
0: Okay, number one, enabling legislation. I'm going to push you ahead here. Number two.
1: Number two is I think we need to uh, streamline uh, and, uh, uh, and improve the process by which communities can document and obtain title over their land rights. Our research shows that those procedures that communities have to follow are cumbersome, complicated, expensive, and Communities just don't have the resources in order to do that on their own. They need help. Procedural
0: streamlining, which comes from the legislation in part, I presume.
1: Uh, or, or the enabling regulations or guidelines from that. Yeah. Number three. And number three is building capacity in the government agencies that's responsible for helping communities secure their rights and then helping communities protect their rights uh, from outsiders that are unwelcome uh, and not... Uh, not wanted by the community. So those are three areas that we can help with.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. I always learn when I have a chance to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: This has been the World Resources Institute podcast. I've been speaking today with Peter Feit, he is the director of the Land and Resource Rights Initiative in our uh, Center for Governance Excellence. We've been discussing land matters, how securing community land rights can slow climate change and accelerate the sustainable development goals. You can find that all that online at wi.org. Until next time, I'm Lawrence McDonald. Thanks for listening.